So my guest today, Glow Atanmo, stepped on a plane with a one-way ticket and $500 years back. She knew she wanted a life that was different from the one that she was expected to live, one filled with adventure, one that really broke the mold of how others had always told her life was supposed to be. And what unfolded has been a life of not just adventure, but also profound exploration, growth, connection, and impact. A life of stories. And over a period of years, she also figured out how to build a powerful living around her quest as a creative entrepreneur and online educator, starting out as a travel blogger, venturing to over 80 countries across six continents, and telling the stories of destinations around the world. She landed features in Forbes, Oprah, Condé Nast, Essence, BBC, collaborates with major brands, and hosts the Glow Show podcast. But over time, her journey also has morphed into something bigger and deeper, especially over the last few years as she felt called to speak honestly and openly on issues of equity, race, and community in a more intentional way. She's the founder of the Social Educators Academy, helping people leverage their social platforms to make a difference and make a living. And as we spoke, Lo shared really powerful reflections on the travel-centered life that she's been living, on her experience both in the U.S. and on the road as a Black woman, and how she's continuing to evolve her focus, life, and livelihood in new directions as we all emerge back into a changed world. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So as you and I sit here uh, jamming in different parts of the country, you are literally on your way back out of the country. You just came back into the country from <laughs> Grenada and yes. um, where you were for, I guess it was about a week or so. So here's my curiosity around this, right? You have for the better part of your adult life 
been deeply vested in the pursuit of travel, in living basically around the world almost perpetually. It's your devotion, a deep love of yours for a, a chunk of time, a substantial part of the way that you sustained yourself in the world. And then the last 16 months happened, right? <laughs> and I, I'm so curious for somebody like you, where this is not just something that you happen to do on vacation, but it's so woven into the fiber of your being. What was this last window like for you? A necessary reminder to sit the heck down. And what I think quarantine and the height of the pandemic allowed for us high achieving, restless souls to do is sit with ourselves and say, okay, are we running towards something or running away from something? What does this need to constantly be on the go stem from? And I had a very chaotic childhood. I'm the daughter of Nigerian immigrant parents, one of six kids. And so chaos became my norm. It's like, if the house was too quiet, I'm like, let me start a fight with one of my brothers and sisters. <laughs> and I think with just being able to sit still, like I'm 31 now, getting my first apartment, just first living space at 30 years old, I felt so behind. I was asking my friends questions like, okay, so when you pay rent, there's also utilities and water and like trash because at Airbnb, you just pay one fee. <laughs> so I had like hotels, you pay one fee. And I was like, what are all these extra expenses? So I was like asking these like very like basic questions. But again, what I do appreciate is that I was able to just sit still and reflect. What am I building? Where do I want to go? Okay, I reached my dream to get paid to travel the world. Is this it? Do I sit comfortably at this the top of this mountain and feel like I've made it? Or do I climb back down and start summiting another one? Yeah. So that's so interesting. I mean, because um, from the outside looking in, it, it might be easy to assume that like, oh, th this had to have been a devastating time for you. Like this had to have been a time. And for a lot of different reasons, I know it's there's been a lot to deal with. But yeah. in the context of travel, what it sounds like is that this was also a time of just really rich fertility of just and deep exploration of, okay, like, let me look back at what got me here and then take this time as a pause to figure out where am I going from here? I love that word of exploration because it was like that outward exploration was what I was doing, but that inward exploration was missing. And I was just constantly at the mercy of these brands and sponsors and tourism boards where I was just like constantly churning out content for them, their messaging, their content, their market, their country, just boom, 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 just spamming my audience with like, travel is amazing and da, 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 da. But I was like, Glow, what? Have, have you healed? Like you're, you're talking about all the, the, the beauty of the world. Like what's the beauty in you? Like what do you love about yourself? Like these naturally intrinsic questions that most people should ask themselves at some point in life. I think I was able to avoid that because I had such an adventurous outward life. So again, with just the stillness, like even something as basic as being able to sleep in the same bed for like more than a week, such a luxury. Jonathan, I was like, oh, I get to like, actually, I picked out a mattress for the first time. I was just like, this is so cool. I get to like invest in something that I'm going to like go to bed in every night. So it really felt like I was on like this new kind of journey, which also felt like an adventure for me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the, um, to be able to do that is incredible. You, so you mentioned your parents, um, Nigerian immigrants, um, six kids in the family, and it was not the happiest upbringing for you. So it sounds like that travel was part coping mechanism, part distraction slash escape. But over this time, and maybe like even before this, 
what were the things that were sort of seeded in your early life? What were the the awakenings that you've had where you said, oh, well, you know, this is the stuff that I need to actually revisit now um, and process? Jonathan, with the good questions. Wow. Well, I also grew up a, a pastor's daughter. So again, mm. um, and I, I, I still love Jesus and I still love God and the church and you know, what Christianity represents. But I think because it was shoved down my throat and I didn't have a say in how I got to live my life. It's like, this is who you are, what you believe in. Anything that you do to try to rebel, you just get your butt whooped. You know, I grew up in a spanking household, so I got spanked a lot. But we would go to church three to four times on Sundays. And it was just, it became this chore rather than something that like I actively got to participate in. And that spilled, you know, Christianity, that spilled into education, that spilled into what we were allowed to watch. And I remember watching the first PG-13 movie at 17 years old. Like that, it was like, there's restrictions like that the media puts on. And then there's restrictions that Nigerian culture also like implements. Like, no, no, you need another four years before you can handle what PG-13 is. And even PG movies, it's like those, like, I think we started watching that maybe at 16. Like, it was just so delayed. And so going to school, you know, in your formative years as a teenager, you just want to fit in. You want to be able to have the water cooler talk and know what everyone else is like referring to. But the music, the movies, the TV shows, I didn't have access to any of that. So I always felt so behind and so awkward because I couldn't relate to any of my peers. But like education, that that was like a massive um priority, which I do appreciate because that has like instilled this discipline in me. And I think even to this day, I'm still able to value education and learning and growth so much because that was deeply embedded into my childhood. But I will say one of the first things that I revisited was just how I thought about the world. When you grow up in a very constrictive culture that tells you what to think, you kind of just take that as bond. You take that as you're like, okay, well, my parents know better than me. They're grown and they're, they're adults in my life. I will just listen to whatever they say. But then you, you start growing older and getting curious. Like, wait, no, actually, even though I'm a Christian, let me explore what, what Buddhism stands for. Let me explore what Hinduism is. Like, just, just for the sake of having that awareness and that education, because I believe awareness and education breeds compassion. And I didn't want to be this person where I was like forcing God down people's throats because I was holier than thou. It was like, no, I, I just, I invite people into my perspective of what Christianity is because I've seen how God has moved in my life. And so that became the way I started to revisit everything in life. Everything became an, an invitation to deeper perspective as to why I believed what I believed. And I think if the world can have that approach as like, let me make my beliefs an invitation to a new perspective rather than you need to think this way, you need to believe this way, you need to act this way because it's the right way. And the travel taught me that there's no right or wrong. There's just different. And we can all coexist in our differences. Yeah. I mean, what a powerful lesson to learn. I wonder also, like when you start traveling, you're sort of like, and I think you started back in 2013, basically 500 bucks, one way ticket, I'm out, right? It's sort of like tapping out of the mainstream choices and saying, (laughs) this is where I need to go. But I I wonder, like back then, it sounds like you're you're just saying, I'm exiting like all the sort of traditional expectations to just go do this thing. But I wouldn't imagine, and tell me, tell me if this is right or not, that, that back then you started to realize, you know, like part of what I'm actually doing is exploring so many different parts of the world, of culture, of geography, of society, so that I can start to understand there is something bigger than just the beliefs and the culture that I've been raised in. Yes. That must have been sort of like an emerging part of the experience, I would imagine. 
Absolutely. It was an act of rebellion, but then it was also an act of freedom. And, mm. you know, it's funny. <laughs> they say in Nigerian culture, you're a doctor, a lawyer, or a disappointment. And so I was in that third category for, you know, most of my 20s. And I actually didn't tell my mom I was no longer a pre-med major until 10 days before graduation. That's how deeply embedded the fear was that I was like, I'm disappointing her. This is going to like ruin our relationship. Like everything is going to be destroyed. And I went to school. I went to a university in Kansas. And so my mom lived in Arizona at the time. So I was like, after I graduate, technically I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll need a place to live. I can't go back and live under the roof of someone who I just told, like, I cannot be the person you need me to be. So leaving the country was also like, look, I'm going to run away from all these expectations that you've placed on my life because I don't think I'm meant to be a doctor. I don't think I'm meant to be a lawyer either. As good with words as I am, I believe there's more to life than just having a career that's financially stable. I was willing to chase this like sporadic, crazy, almost lawless industry of influencer marketing because it didn't even have a word back then. But I was willing to chase that because I was like, I'd rather start from the bottom and build a path, build a bridge, build a way and then leave a path behind me. Because when you go where there is no path, it's like, okay, at least you build one for the next people after you. And I've always been that kind of like self-starter leader. And even in my basketball teams, I was always a team captain because I love to mobilize and help and, and like bring things together. And sometimes you look at you look back on your childhood, like the things that made you different as a kid is what like will make you money as an adult. And being able to be so observant because I never fit in. I was like dorky, goofy, weird, poor. <laughs> like I had all these reasons that no one wanted to be my friend, you know, as a kid. And so it made me really observant. Okay, how do the rich people interact with each other? Okay, how do the jockeys and the cheerleaders, okay, the the immigrant kids, like everyone had their cliques, even as young as elementary school. And I was able to just have that like bird's eye view of like, okay, this is these are like the societal norms and the the things that people buy into at a very young age happens naturally. And like, how can I find a way to blend in with all communities? And so some days I would sit with the cheerleaders, other days with the chess club. Another day with the immigrants, you know, and it, it was almost like that adaptability, that chameleonic way of like surviving as a kid, as a teenager is what allows me to be so open minded when I traveled because I was like, I, I was doing this before I even knew what I was doing. Like I can be in Jamaica, Japan, Sri Lanka, Norway and still feel like I belong because I, I found a way to observe first and then blend in later. And yeah, I find that to kind of be a cool skill. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's it's almost like the early version of different countries for you were different cliques. Yes! Oh, Jonathan, putting the pieces together. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it's like it, it was effectively training for where you would go. But here's my other curiosity around this. You know, I know you also bounced around. Your family moved a whole bunch when you were younger. Yeah. Um, so part of my curiosity around that also, and because of what you just shared, is was this curiosity and sort of like, you know, like putting on the scientist hat and deconstructing the social dynamics of the different groups. Was that entirely genuine curiosity or was it, do you feel like some of it was also the manifestation of a, almost a level of hypervigilance that you tend to see with kids, wow. you see in military families, you know, like where they have to, they're constantly dropping into new environments and they need mm. to develop the skill of scanning the horizon so they feel safe. And they feel like, how can I navigate this world so I feel okay? Yeah, reading the room. That almost an act of survival. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I think during those times, you, you, don't, you never really look at it like, I'm doing this because 
this has happened so often. <laughs> I need to be able to like get through the days and the weeks and the new cities. But yeah, I look back on that. I'm like, yeah, that was like a sense of survival because as a teenager, really you put so much value into belonging and having your people, your clique, your friends. And so when you don't have that sense of community or that tribe that you've built around people who are not just like-minded, but like-hearted, um, you feel out of place, you know? So yeah, I think for me, that was definitely a sense of like survival, and then also just like, how can I get through my day, <laughs> you know, with, without feeling like isolated the entire time? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lumi. So listen, we have all had those awkward moments where a BO strikes at the worst possible time. I'm often actually out in nature when I'm exercising, so I don't even notice it when I'm out. And then I walk in the door, kind of start to wrinkle my nose, and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's actually me. That is why I'm so thankful I discovered Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. This revolutionary product, it was actually invented by an OBGYN who wanted a solution for her patients struggling with private odor. But Lumi doesn't just work, quote, down there. It provides incredible 72-hour protection for your entire body using mandelic acid. I kid you not, this stuff is a game changer. Lumi is safe and effective for pits, for feet, you name it. And as someone who's tried it, I can attest that it seriously works. The fresh scents are just an added bonus. So if you're ready to say goodbye to BO for good, try Lumi's Starter Pack. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash, and deodorant wipes and free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with the code GOODLIFE at lumideodorant.com. Don't miss your chance to experience the relief of true full body freshness. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com or just click the link in the show notes and use the code GOODLIFE. Good Life Project is sponsored by Quince. So my wife actually originally introduced me to Quince because she loves their clothing and I have been hooked ever since. I literally lived in their Mongolian cashmere ribbed beanie and pullover hoodie pretty much all winter. And as the weather warms up, I wanted more breathable summer pieces without overpaying. And Quince has just the super high quality items like linen shirts, performance polos, activewear at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman to pass savings to customers. Actually just ordered a new European linen long sleeve button down shirt. Super excited to get that. And I'm always just so amazed at how they can keep their prices so affordable while the quality remains really high. So if you're looking to upgrade your wardrobe, I highly recommend you try Quince. Go to quince.com slash GLP 
for free shipping on your order and a 365-day return. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash G-L-P to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash G-L-P or just click the link in the show notes. Trust me, your wardrobe will thank you. I know you've also, I, I've heard you describe yourself as an empath. Um, yeah. And I'm curious about, given, given sort of like the dynamic that you're describing, I'm really curious how you navigate that also because, well, first tell me what you mean, because I've heard people use that word in different contexts and, and to, to mean different things. Tell me what that means to you. And then how did, how did it really show up for you? Yeah. You know, it was a taxi driver in a random country who just made an observation. He was like, you have HSP, don't you? You know, you're a high, highly sensitive person. And even in the brief moments that I was in his car, he could tell that I was just picking up on senses and things and everything around me. And I think as an empath, either something from our childhood or something that we've experienced makes us feel like we need to feel for other people, not just observe what they're going through, but feel with them. And I think it could be a blessing and a curse. The reason I'm able to communicate, well, I have a communications degree, but the reason I'm able to communicate so well with people and, you know, share such in-depth stories on Instagram that gets thousands, tens of thousands of shares is because I'm able to put into words what a lot of people are thinking and feeling, but aren't able to really say. And when you're an empath, again, you, you probably have been very observant as a kid. You probably have been put in situations where you saw someone get deeply hurt and you you had to sit in that hurt with them. And yeah, I think because I've also just been through so much trauma in my life, I can see when someone else is, is in a traumatized position. And I, I rather than just sympathize, like, oh, that sucks. Oh, I'm so sorry for that. It's like, I'm sitting there in the depths with them. Like, oh no, I know what this feels like. Let me shoulder some of this pain for you. And again, blessing and a curse because it's like, it makes you have thicker boundaries because I do, you know, there, there was a time where I shared in 2019, I had an ovarian cystectomy and it was basically like a watermelon sized cyst that was growing on my ovaries while I was traveling. And I kept ignoring it, finally had emergency surgery and it was insane. But when I, when I finally shared that story, so many women came pouring into my DMs and emails saying, oh my gosh, this is my story. I've been so embarrassed about it. I couldn't find information online. Thank you for sharing. But they were pouring so much of their pain, not their um, triumphs <laughs> on me. And I was just like, I, it, I literally had this like vulnerability hangover where I just felt so heavy because I was now carrying the weight of all these people who had this really traumatizing surgery or going through the pain. And yeah, you have to really step away from that every now and then. Um, but I, I, I see it more as a blessing. I'm, I'm very thankful that I, I think I have a deeper level of compassion because of that empathy that I can feel with people. And yeah, I look at it as a superpower at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I once heard, um, an acquaintance of mine um, who's a, a neuroscientist described it, it, it's the first one who ever sort of like made this distinction for me. He, he described as a, a distinction between what he called emotional empathy and cognitive empathy. And he said, you know, wow. there's, there's the empathy where you can like cognitively, you can sort of like deconstruct and feel what other people are feeling and you feel some of it also. And then there's emotional empathy where effectively you feel what they are feeling. And he, he said, you know, the problem with that is on the one hand, it's beautiful. It's good because you can relate on a profoundly deep level to almost anybody and their suffering in particular. The problem with it is if you feel their suffering, their pain on the same level that they yeah. feel it, you lose the capacity to be of service because you're, you're, you're just right there with them. And so like, it's so important to figure out how do I allow enough in to feel enough so that I can 
be of service in whatever way makes most sense, but not, you know, mm. like, but, but have like, have that boundary um, so that you're just not constantly in the wound with them. That's powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to marinate on that tonight. Cognitive versus an emo- emotional empathy. That's so powerful because you're right. L- losing that ability to be of service when you're just sitting in the, the, the sulk with them. Oof, that's good. It's interesting. So I, ha- I have to imagine also with you, you know, because you've spent so many years now dropping into situations where you couldn't control the circumstances. You couldn't necessarily control who was coming at you. You know, like you were referencing online, you know, people were pouring into your DMs, but you also put yourself in physical situations where you were not in a safe container. You just dropped into a world where you knew you had to figure it out. That being yeah. an empath and or being highly empathic in those scenarios, again, was probably a bit of a mixed blessing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a quote by Les Brown. Gosh, it's it's going to slip by me, but it has to do with like something about being willing to put up with the unknown challenges rather than the safety of existence. And I think that uncertainty, and Tony Robbins also has, you know, the six levels, six human needs, and one of them being variety slash uncertainty, that's probably in my top two. There's something about me that craves unfamiliarity, almost like a commitment to my uncommitted ways. Like I I can't commit to buying a house. Like I want to buy a home. I don't know where I want to live. <laughs> like I'm at a place where I'm like, go, it's time to, you know, maybe there's, you know, investment property, but I want like to start buying my forever home because I, you know, built up my savings and I'm, I'm like ready, but I'm like, I don't know where I want to live. And I'm, I'm afraid to start building my dream home in a place where I'm like, I changed my mind. You know? So you, you gotta, um, even with dating, it's not that I can't commit to, to one person, but I get bored very fast because I have to feel like you're a different adventure every week. <laughs> like if we go through every conversation possible and I feel like I can no longer learn from you, I'm going to get bored. I want everything to feel like an adventure. And that's not sustainable or probably possible, you know, realistic. So I have to come to terms with that. You know, my therapist and I were unpacking that. But um, yeah, there's there's so many interesting things that I've learned about myself, again, stemming from just sitting still during uh, the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I would imagine like the idea of sort of constantly finding a sense of adventure externally, on the one hand, amazing because, you know, when the world is open, there are endless opportunities to do that. But, yeah. you know, the, the, what an interesting sort of question to say, well, is it possible for me to get that same feeling through more of an internal experience anywhere I am for as long as I'm there with any anyone who I'm with for as long as we're, you know, like together in relation in some way, shape or form? That's got to be a really interesting exploration. <laughs> I think that's the power of books. Books take me out of my world and into someone else's. And even in my apartment, like I've decorated it beautifully, but I'm already like, hmm, it's time to redecorate because I'm bored. (laughs) I'm just like, glow, like this isn't a good use of your money. Like it's beautiful. You don't need anything different. But I'm just like, I've seen it for too long. (laughs) Like I need to switch it up. And you're right. It's like, how can I make that adventure or that variety inward? rather than um, constantly changing the outward appearance or location of something. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember um, the uh, cognitive scientist, Jonathan Haidt, saying, you know, like he, one of the first books, I think it was his first book, actually, is, you know, a, a sort of one of the leading voices in the world of positive psych, which I'm sure you know already. He wrote a book called The Happiness Hypothesis and effectively, you know, he summed it up by saying, 
happiness is in the in between. You know, it, it's the in the in between your relationship with you, with other people, with location, circumstances, the world. But I wonder, like, if, what if we reimagine the in between? You know, as the in between our ears. <laughs> Ooh, uh, I like that. I like that. And yeah, you you do have to find that self love and that happiness and joy of like yourself, your circumstances, your position, your career, what you're building, your purpose, your legacy, your mission, like all of that has to come from within before ever trying to project that on a person or a place. You know, I think back in 20, you know, 13, 2014 when the rise of solo female travel bloggers started to like really take off. I remember that a lot of the hate mail that we received was like, what are you all running away from? Like, what are you all in search of? Are you trying to find love? And what are you trying to find? And it's just like it, that sense of adventure it, that that we craved was just, it was inherent. But I think until we find a way to create that adventure inside of our day-to-day or in the mundane, the monotony of a sunrise and a sunset, that is something where I'm like, every single day, I have an alarm. I'm like, nope, sun setting. Ooh, I just get, get a coffee or a tea, maybe a glass of wine. And it's just like, I sit in that moment of gratitude of like, ah, what, what went well today? What could I have improved on? What, what, what did I enjoy about today? And those moments I spend by myself and I might journal and it's really so powerful when you're able to have those small routines that you can really build for yourself. Yeah, I I would imagine, especially when you're on the road a bunch, um, having some sort of ritual that's portable or practice has got to be, it's like you've got this moving foundation that always goes where you go. Yes, absolutely. Journaling for sure is one of them. I have like six journals from 86 countries. So it's like, yeah, just so many. It's so cool to look back. Sometimes I'm like, no, I'm going to wait 10 years before I ever reread any of them. But it's really cool to look back five years ago where I was, what I was doing, what I was building. Because for, for many months, I was actually living on $10 a day, eating bread and butter, because that's all I could afford. And I didn't want to give my mom the gratification that I was failing. <laughs> you know, when you're in the infancy stages of a new dream or a new goal, you don't know what you're doing. You're you're building on the way up. You're building out the blueprint as you go. And so when I didn't have money, when I couldn't feed myself, I like rather starve than call her and say, hey, can I borrow a hundred bucks, mom? Like I'm right now, I'm not in a good place. And right now, you know, one of the sponsors is three months late on a payment. I don't know when my next gig is going to be. It's like, no, I'll just, I would take a nap. Actually, (laughs) that was like my best way to overcome the stomach growls. I would be sleeping in my hostel. And for those that don't know, hostels can be like rooms of like 20 different bunk beds. And you have people from like 20 different countries. It could be a really kind of like funny um, experience, just the the side conversations that can happen. But I would just like force myself to sleep all day because I'm like, I'm literally so hungry that hearing my stomach growl, like if I could just avoid hearing that sound, because that sound reminded me how, how much I was struggling, how poor I was. So, you know, but I would get back up, I'd write a blog post, I would pitch another company, I would pitch another brand, I would walk into different restaurants and just pitch myself on the spot. Like, hey, you know, I I know this is like, I'd be in Spain, for example, and I would just ask to see their menu. And I would like spot all their errors. And I'm like, hey, I'm I can like, because I was a graphic designer, too. I was like, let me redesign your menu, like just 50 euros. Let me redesign your menu. Let me also correct all of your typos. You know, the translation is bad. Soy Americana. You know, I'm like, I can do this for you. And I would just like create opportunities as I go. So yeah, and and that just like hungry hustle, like my goodness, you can't teach that. Like at any moment when I like got down to my last dollar, I could have been like, all right, Glow, well, 
You gave it a fair shot. Time to just pack it up. Call your mom. Ask her to book you a ticket home and go to grad school like she wants you to do. But I was like, nope. Give me another year. Get another month. Another day. If I could just afford the next day or the next week, that was enough reason to keep giving myself a shot. It's almost like failure wasn't even an option for me. Like I would, I would go broke so many times, that, but it was like, okay, that didn't work. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, what, what, what did I learn? What can I do better? It was just, I was just so hungry and eager to figure it out that it was like, I was almost such a threat <laughs> because it was like, nothing could get me down. I was like, okay, been broke, been hungry, slept on a park bench when I couldn't afford a hostel. Like I've been at my lowest so many times. I'm like, what? It doesn't get lower than here. So all I can do is keep rebuilding, keep trying, keep working towards something different until, you know, I figured it out. And then eventually the five-figure jobs and the six-figure gigs and the first-class tickets, all of that started playing out. And it's like you look back and you're like, whoa, what if one day you just gave up, you know? Yeah, I mean, that that is the question, right? Because so many people, I'm so fascinated by this journey of creation, you know, and effectively you're creating a, a business, you're, you're creating a livelihood, yeah. but you know, when you're doing something that hasn't existed before you, there's no certainty. There's no guarantee. There's like, you're out there in the world and there's, there's nothing, especially when you were doing it, you know, it, there weren't a whole lot of other people where you could point to and say like, this is, this is definitely possible. And here are the steps to make it happen. You're kind of building right. that bridge as you go. And there's, you wake up every morning and I'm fascinated by, by the process of convincing yourself that I still believe <laughs> yeah. enough that this is possible that I'm going to spend another day doing it, even on all those days where it feels like the universe is telling you you're dead wrong. <laughs> right. And it's almost like because you're building this brand as a reputable travel writer, travel blogger, I mean, I, I shared enough where I was like transparent about like what I was doing, where I was going next. But you can't really just post like, hey, guys, I haven't eaten in a week, but I'm still good. Like you can't, you're building your brand. You're, you're building travel content. You're telling stories. When people are following you, they're there for your stories. They, they, you know, at the end of the day, you're still living a very privileged life. And I always joke that like, you know, if I'm going to be broke, I want to pinch my pennies in Paris. <laughs> like I'd rather be looking over the river scene and the Eiffel Tower um, and not have money there than, you know, somewhere in like my home city where I grew up in Hayward, California. So it was a sense of like, even though I was struggling, I still felt very privileged because I felt like I didn't have the confinements of a boss that I hated or a nine to five that didn't fulfill me or a job or coworkers that I didn't agree with or like. I still got to create my everyday. I'm like, okay, I would wake up. Like, what opportunities can I create today? Who can I pitch? What can I work towards? What can I do to just like build a little bit of momentum? Because momentum is lucrative. A lot of people want those big wins right away, but if you just take that one step, you get that one small win, it, it leads to the next one. So every day I would try to do just one small thing that built a little bit of momentum to give me a little bit of hope, just enough to keep going. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And, and it's interesting also. So you mentioned that you also have you know background in design. Was that part of what you studied in school also? I mean, you said communications, was it design also? Yeah, so I was an interdisciplinary major of marketing, communications, and design. I was like an early adopter to social media uh, back in 2004 is when I had my very first blog. And that platform was called Exanga, which is now defunct. But every single social media platform that came out almost 20 years ago, I was on. The Tumblr, the Blogspot, the, just the OG platforms before MySpace and Facebook. 
So I really like, I got into that world of like learning coding, learning design and teaching myself Photoshop. So yeah, it, it's interesting. Even to, to this day, my Instagram handle is still Glow Graphics because Glow Graphic Designs was my very first like entrepreneurial endeavor. I've actually been wondering about that. I was like, yeah. where does that come from? That's <laughs> so interesting. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com What's fascinating to me, too, is that there's the way that you approach travel is very much like human-centered design. It's like design thinking approach to it. It's like sort of saying, okay, so this is a design problem, right? Mm. Can I actually make this work? Can I build a life that is filled with adventure and experience and shared humanity? Um, And the way that you're describing figuring this out is like this iterative design thinking, deconstructing, let me figure out what the real questions are. Let me lead with empathy. Let me prototype every day and try something new and get feedback until I figure it out. It's like, it's kind of a fascinating overlay in the way that you've approached it. Yeah. And and I think I also started to understand that if my travels or my journey or my brand just became about showing off how luxurious or amazing my life was, there's no substance in that. Honestly, there's no quality to that. And I knew that like, if I was going to maintain impact and I wanted to encourage people to see the world or change their opinions about a different religion or um, a different region of the world that they didn't have any experience in other than what the news showed at the six o'clock segment about the violence that happened there. You know, I, I really always wanted the approach to be like, how can I bring more humanity to the world in a way that was also relatable. And that's sometimes bringing in humor that's talking on socioeconomics, talking about politics. Like I also became like a little bit of a risk, like <laughs> when brands and agencies would hire me, it's like, okay, you're working with Glow, be careful because she she might be honest. <laughs> you know. And I was willing to like 
even like turned away money, even when I was still building, but to say no to money, if the messaging was like, okay, you have to make sure you only talk about the positive, that you're only promoting this, that you don't show the poverty. And I'm like, wait, but if that's the country's story, and it wasn't that I was going to highlight, like, look how broke people are here. It was like, no, if this is a part of this country's history, why not shed light on it to make people more informed. And I think one of the hardest countries that I had to cover was Brazil. Because Brazil, a lot of people think, you know, the U.S., you know, slavery was the biggest in the U.S., but Brazil actually had the largest slave port in the Americas. So colorism is a huge issue there, where instead of just saying, okay, slavery, let's finish it, you know, and let's, you know, move on. It was like, let's send all of the Black people into the jungle so that they can die off. And then eventually, or we're going to force all of the Black people to reproduce with the white people so that you know, we can eventually get rid of black skin tone altogether. And that history showed up in like me being at my five-star hotel, you know, with a brand on the brand's dime and someone coming, so a worker in the hotel yelling at me in Portuguese, because that's the language they speak in Brazil, yelling at me in Portuguese, like, what, what are you doing? Like, it just, you could tell that it was just this anger. I was just like, oh, what did I do? What did I do? And the night before I checked in at about 11 p.m. So this was just my first morning in Rio de Janeiro. And I just bring out my room key and I'm like, what's the issue? And then she goes back to, like, ooh, 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 goes back to the um, front desk. They realize I'm actually a guest. They thought I was a sex worker soliciting other people. And I'm just like that idea that like, if you have darker skin, that you probably are here for sex work. And I had to literally learn Portuguese phrases, eu não falo português, eu não falo português, so that people could see that I was American, that I don't speak Portuguese, that I'm not a local sex worker. But like telling those stories wasn't just, it wasn't about exposing the country. It was so that other Black women who traveled to Brazil, if they experienced it too, for them to know that they're not alone. And for them to say like, hey, if it happened to Glow, you know, it could happen to me too. And having like that shared sense of like, okay, like, you know, but the world is still a good place, still 90% positive. But if this happens, know that you're not alone. So that became a part of my brand as well. Yeah. So it's really, you know, for you, it, weaving values into it, it, it wasn't just, you know, one of the core values beyond adventure, it seems like really was integrity. Like you have a set of values and beliefs, and that has to be at the center of everything you're doing. I mean, what you're describing is, you know, it is horrifying. And also, I'm sure an everyday experience for so many people in so many different yeah. places and countries including where, you know, like where we are. Yeah. You and I were had an interesting experience. I want to say it was a couple months back. We were on this app yeah. clubhouse. We're in a room, you know, I was fairly new to it. I think you probably were yeah. at that, at that yeah. point also. And there was a conversation going on. I think we both got invited up to the stage, which meant like, you know, yeah. for some, some reason people felt like they wanted to hear our voices. And I was kind of <laughs> keeping quiet the whole time because I had nothing to contribute. And I was just yeah. sort of listening contently. And the conversation was about to wrap and a woman sort of like chimed in and, and shared her truth around race. And yeah. it was deep, deep pain that she yeah. was sharing. And here we are on this sort of like small virtual stage. I believe yeah. it was her, a handful of middle-aged white guys and you, yeah. and you enter the conversation at that point in a way that was so profound and moving and open. Um, would you share a little bit about your experience of that? Yeah. You know, and I think when we think about meeting people where they're at and acknowledging pain, 
most people, especially underprivileged communities, they just want that acknowledgement of like, hey, this is what we're going through. And a lot of the times in, in some of those rooms that speak to business or speak to healing or human psychology, it can feel like it's only targeting and talking to one demographic of people. And so her pain really stemmed from like, how come no one has addressed these issues? How come no one is understanding that it's more than just not having the funds to start a dream? It could be like systemic and all these other issues issues and racial and, you know, and she just wanted to be held in that moment. And I can tell, and again, that's where that empathy really has benefited me on my journey because I felt the tears. I felt the pain. I've been in rooms where I knew that just my my journey and my struggle wasn't acknowledged. My demographic was just kind of like, it could be a trigger, you know? And I think in those situations, and I always, I, I appreciate it. I, I believe um, someone also stepped in and, and tried to just, you know, navigate. And, and I appreciated that he even, you know, wanted to say something because I know how delicate of a situation it can be, especially when it comes to race, because everyone wants to make sure they're not saying a, a wrong word or yeah, really acknowledging and holding someone in, in the right kind of way. So yeah, that was, that was a special moment. I had a lot of people, you know, reach out in my DMs after that. And it, it, it honestly, I, I feel kind of called in that way where I found that I was kind of like a, a bridge for different communities to like, I went to a school that was 95% white. <laughs> so I, I've been in a lot of rooms where a lot of triggering and insensitive things were said. And because I was the only black person, I'm like, this isn't a time to speak up. I, I can't defend myself because no one's going to defend me. <laughs> so I, I can see that world. But then also growing up first generation Nigerian, but then also, you know, every, everything I I grew up in black culture. So I, I, I'm standing in the middle of these two worlds trying to figure out how can we get both of them to communicate and understand each other's struggles. And even last July during George Floyd or last May, even like I committed my page to just creating these carousels that just educated on the black experience. And I mean, that exploded. My account grew about 200,000. And I think it was because just having, again, the way that I teach and the way I show up in this world, I never wanted to feel like force. Obviously, if I'm feeling trigger and aggression, it can be valid. But I knew if if the impact you want to make is to invite people into a deeper perspective. You've got to figure out a way to invite people into the conversation and not force it down their throat. And um, I think it's been a while, if even at all, like race has been talked about like that, you know, as a way where it's like, wait, this doesn't have to be this awkward, uncomfortable situation. It can be something where I'm just learning about the life and the experience of everyday people, of neighbors, of coworkers, you know, and I think the hardest thing was when my sister told me that she went to work the next day and she said it was like as if all she she was the only black woman of course in that office um, which is the experience for many black women in corporate but she said it was as if every white person was afraid to talk to her afraid to be around her afraid to look at her in the eye and she felt like a ghost It, it was as if people were just afraid of her and she she had done nothing and it was just the fact that she was black it was like oh don't wanna oh there's a lot of racial reconciliation and protests going on let me just pretend that she doesn't even exist and that's even worse And again, it's that acknowledgement. Most Black people just want this country to acknowledge the history and see that like there are so many reasons, even to this day, it's like you look at, you know, the 400 years of the slave background, but it's like, oh, no one, no one owns slaves anymore. But it's like there's things deeply embedded in this country's constitution and systemic laws that 
keep black people oppressed, you know? And it's like, once that can be like a common truth, then we can start working towards like reconciliation. But I think there's still a lot of denial. There's still a lot of, let's just pretend it's not happening and hope that one day it goes away. And that George Floyd incident, what it did to the country and just like the amount of like hundreds of like white people, friends, colleagues, professors texting me like, how do you feel? Are you okay? And I'm like, I don't, where do I start? I, I, I couldn't hold space for the black trauma and white guilt. It's not that I want white people to feel like, oh, feel bad about your ancestors and what they did. It's like, no, just acknowledge and know that like, this is still an issue. Even though the past isn't your fault, the the future of this country is your responsibility. So what active role do you want to play in making sure everyone in this country has a level playing field? Yeah. I mean, that's so powerful. Um, I wonder whether, you know, while you're moving through this, this moment also, you're asking yourself the same question, like, what role do I want to play in in the conversation? Yeah, I remember um, a little while back talking to uh, Austin Channing Brown, and and yeah. who, who made like a very deliberate choice. She said, yeah. you know, for years I took on the role of education, sort of at the point of entry in the conversation, mm-hmm. mostly for white folks. Yeah in organizations and she's like you know like i've reached a point i don't want to put words in her mouth she's an incredible yeah. human being yeah I love what her. i heard in the conversation was you know I, i've reached a point in my life in my career in my thinking in my you know like contribution where i want to operate at a different point in the conversation when we're further down the road that is yes. where like i want to be and these are the types of conversations i want to have and very clear on the types of conversations she doesn't want to have yeah i'm so curious what your thought process has been around, okay, so like how, obviously, you know, you're, you're a black woman, so, so you're in this the way yeah. that, that white folks are, the way that, but but right. differently because we're all living different experiences. Right. But when George Floyd happens and things break open in a very different way, right? I'm so curious what your inner experience is of the process of, of sort of like saying, yeah. how do I want to be in this? It was almost like the calling was bigger than me. I didn't feel like if it was up to me, I would have just like uninstalled social media for another two months. Like I remember praying out to God, like, like, where am I needed? Like, let your will be done in my life. Cause I don't, I don't want to show up. I don't, if it were up to me, I would just disappear and like meditate all day and like find my own healing because there was a lot of black people that we just felt broken and tired and just we just didn't want to be around people. We didn't have the energy. We didn't have the strength. We were hopeless, you know. So I'm like, I didn't want to do that, but I felt like there was this like divine inclination where it's like, okay, a lot of people are opening their eyes for the very first time. And when you think of like a newborn baby, are you telling your newborn, like, come on, get up and walk? <laughs> you know, it, it's got to be coddled just a little bit, you know? And so I'm, I'm, I saw that the content I was making was attracting newborns and toddlers. And so in a way, I did feel like I had to spoon feed a little bit and really meet them at very basic and beginner levels. And some of my most viral carousels, like, one of them has reached, I think, 4 million people has been shared over half a million times. And the question is, is it rude to say Black? <laughs> and I'm like, sometimes I create these carousels. I'm like, oh, this is so obvious, but let me put it out anyway. And little did I know, people thought Black was derogatory. 
they thought African-American was like the rule. Like they grew up, maybe they were taught that, maybe that was you know, the media they consumed, but black was actually the preference. And a lot of people actually African-American means something different than black American. And so just even categorizing the labels, because labels do mean a lot, especially for underprivileged communities. So I found myself just really just extending, probably overextending in the first like three months. I mean, I, I even created an ally resource guide that people can literally, it's like 30 days and 30 ways to be a better ally. Because my capacity was I can create one carousel a day, but the the DMs, the hundreds, thousands of DMs a day of like, ooh, teach on this, teach on this. And I'm like, wait, this is not my job. I'm doing this as like, I feel called to, but like my capacity is this. So creating this like $27 resource guide was also a way to say, okay, if you want to go at your own speed and also have a deeper resource, here's a handbook that you can do with your family, with your kids, with your partner. And that was also great because it allowed a little bit of a boundary (laughs) that I didn't feel the need to keep creating at a, a faster rate than I could. And then I would say about November. So I'm doing this for about six months, just like leaning in and just stepping up, being a voice. And I think I reached my burnout about November. I was like, wait, I'm not a racial educator. And I was getting like literally Fortune 500 companies like, hey, can you speak to our C-suite team and our executives, our 300 person department? I was like, I don't see, (laughs) I I could just like already sense the awkwardness of me speaking on a Zoom call of 300 middle-aged white men, because those are mostly the C-suite departments. And I'm just like, I don't see that being enjoyable for either side, (laughs) you know? And I was like, there's got to be a better way. And I just, I started turning it down and referring other practitioners. I didn't find joy in that. And I also didn't want this to be my entire identity. I didn't want to be the race girl. I don't enjoy talking about race. I'll, I'm doing it because I see a need. And that's what leaders do when they identify a need. They step up and they're usually, you know, called by this you know, divine inclination or whatever. But I felt called to in that time because people were actually paying attention. But when I got back to the root of what I love and enjoy, it was that storytelling. It was the travel. It was the adventure. It was entrepreneurship. It was dream chasing. And so now I'm back. My account is back at a place where I'm able to mix in a little bit of both storytelling every now and then allyship education. But at the core of it, it's like just chasing freedom, creativity, what it means to build a life of your dreams. And that feels really good to get back to that place. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, it's so fascinating to hear sort of like how you processed the decision making about where you were willing to go, not willing to go, um, how you want to be of service, how you didn't want to be of service and where the boundaries were as people just demanded more and more and more and more. And you're like, okay, so I need to be really clear and set expectations to a certain extent. Um, I'm also fascinated. So over the last 16 months or so, when everything was pretty much locked down, you know, like we're, we're in this country during, during this, you know, the pandemic and a lot of racial reckoning um, yeah. and conversation in the country. Then almost as soon as it opens up, you take a trip to Grenada, which is a majority black country. Yeah. Which is, so I'm, I'm fascinated, like after sort of like being in this country and in the, the way that society is here and then dropping into a completely different place where it's majority black. How do you move into that? How does it affect you? How does it change the way that you feel and move through the day? It's therapy. <laughs> like I even just, I felt myself just like, cause I'll, I'll be honest, Jonathan, there's no tiptoeing. Like I live in a very like nice high rise building. It's mostly white men that, you know, live in this building and I could be walking down the hallway and I'll greet them, you know, good afternoon, good morning. And they'll just look at me and then look back down as if again, that, that uncomfortable feeling of just like, oh, 
black person. I'm like, what? I'm like, I could smile. So you see these teeth, like so approachable. (laughs) Doesn't matter. It's this idea that I've created my opinion on what black people are. Therefore, I will not change that and I will not communicate or acknowledge you. You experience that so often and it just starts to drain you and you get exhausted by it. And you do seek places where you can just slip in and just belong. And I've never really felt like I belong in in any of the states that I've lived in. I never felt like I belonged anywhere because I was always met with, it could just take one or two people to look at me and scrunch their nose, to cross the street prematurely, to like be hesitant to get on the elevator if I'm there. I'm just like, really? You know, so Grenada, that was such, you know, you you have beautiful weather, beautiful beaches, and then, yeah, Black culture, where it's just this invitation to just be. And I felt so free there. I literally kept the word freedom just kept being this recurring theme in my mind of like, wow, this is what it's like to just be. And oh my goodness, I want that for every Black person. I, I don't know if they can find that in a specific city. And obviously it's a privilege to be able to just uproot yourself and your family. But I hope that wherever I do call forever home, I feel that sense of freedom. Mm, yeah. When we think about the moment that we're in right now, like I feel like we're all, yeah, there's a sense of emergence. Yeah. I see it in you because you're, you're out in the world more. Yeah. You know, you're literally about to get on another plane after this conversation. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> when, and, and I know you've been through you know, this reimagining process. So knowing that you're a pretty intentional, as much as you hold a lot of, you know, like space for serendipity in your life, there's yeah. a lot of intentionality also yeah. at the same time. When you think about what's coming next, like what, how you would love to influence the creation of this next season, what, what does that feel like to you? What, what's, what's coming up for you around that? It's scary because I think this next chapter of my life is something that I've been putting off for a while, but it's now I feel thrusted into this space and it and it feels good to feel like your level of competence matches your dreams. Because I think a lot of what keeps us back is like, oh, I need another degree and I need another certification. And, you know, we just we, we diminish what we know because we don't have the whatever resume. But I look at Les Brown inspires me so much. I, I love the man and I just... The way he speaks, the way he moves the room, the way he combines humor, motivation, and a little bit of church <laughs> into his talks. I'm like, to be the female version of that would be incredible. And I'll be doing a speaking tour next year where it'll be kind of, kind of like, you know, we, we look at Brendan Burchard's, you know, seminars and his High Performance Academy, but this will be a little bit smaller and more intimate, but just reaching people where they're at and just giving a little bit of everything because I feel like I've I've lived six lives and you know I don't know if you know this but I actually played semi-pro basketball in Spain for a season because that was able to get me residency it gave me a stable income and insurance so I mean there's so many things I've done in my adult life that like I don't really talk about or not many people know but it's added to my level of wisdom or the lessons that I've learned in life and being able to share that on a larger scale being able to pack that in a two-hour keynote or presentation or documentary, something. But I, I'm, I'm ready to, to get my story out in a, in a bigger way. You know, I'm working with my lit agent on my book as well. So I'm ready for that exposure. I, I think I've even if the exposure comes, I still be like, oh, well, mm, maybe next year. I still hide because I just, I know the level of criticism that also comes with that. 
And I've always been afraid of like, well, what if people think that my story's not good enough? What if they think I'm too this, I'm too that? You, you know, you let the fear of what non-existent critics <laughs> could say about you keep you small. And at the end of the day, you got you got to really just say, I, I think Brene Brown always says, I, I'm not interested in your opinion if you're not in the arena getting your butt kicked. Yeah. Like I'm down here willing to fight. If you're in, in the nosebleeds, I'm not interested in your opinion. And most critics are in the nosebleeds. So I have to remember that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, easy thing to know, not necessarily so easy to really integrate. <laughs> oh, I know it. Um, you know, uh, but, but yeah. Um, when you think about yourself, like doing this thing, um, going out into the world and where you just described and creating these experiences and these moments and yeah. sharing on the level you're talking about, do you have a wish or an intention for those who would participate in those experiences, those moments, that community? Yeah. One of my favorite comments to get on social media is I needed this or this was for me. Mm. And I remember in school, I was always so appreciative. I don't know what administrators are responsible for booking those speakers, but you'd get every now and then in third grade and sixth grade and ninth grade, you get someone to come in and just talk to you about your future, about your dreams and your goals. And even though, you know, you'd see people on their phones and you'd see people talking, you look, see people look around and they're bored by it. I would just be like at the edge of my seat. I'm like, oh my God. I know it. I know this is me. This is for me. Like this, they're speaking to my life. Like I always felt so reignited by those talks because I knew that I'd never fit in. I knew I was never meant to be whatever people consider normal. Nothing about me is normal. Nothing about where I'm going is normal. And I always felt isolated by that. And so in these experiences that I'm curating, I want to not only liberate people, but to make them feel like there's another way. Because oftentimes we get trapped by our circumstances or by the lives that our parents or our partners have already dictated for us. And so if I can just liberate someone, for someone to walk out and feel like they've got a breakthrough, they, just seeing what's possible liberates people. And we joke in the Black community that like so many times we got to see someone else do it before we do it. You know, people will come to me like, Glow, I'm just waiting for you to go to Romania to make sure it's okay for me. <laughs> you know, Glow, what's Russia like? Once you go, I'll go, <laughs> you know? So we have to wait for someone else to give us permission, like give you the thumbs up, like, okay, entrepreneurship, it's scary, but it's not that bad. Yeah, come, come, come along, you know? And there's always that mm -hmm. argument, is everyone meant to be an entrepreneur? I don't think so, but everyone deserves more. Whether that's more freedom, mm -hmm. more creativity, more time with their family and loved ones, everyone deserves that. And I want to show people how they can start building ways to make that possible. Mm, love that. I, I remember when you first shared about um, that you're working on a book. I literally wrote this down. Um, you wrote, I have a journal where I document the emotions a book makes me feel and try to use that as a guideline for how I want my book to make others feel. Absolutely. And it seems like you have a devotion to creating moments, experiences, insight, wisdom that mm -hmm. creates a feeling of possibility in others. Wow. I, I can't wait to listen to this episode because you poured into me so much that that is perfectly said. I think that's exactly it. Mm, I love that. Feels like a good place for us to come full circle as well. So sitting here in, in this container of a good life project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? To live a good life to me means a life filled with alignment. You are living according to your divine purpose, something that you feel is so uniquely you and you're putting it out into the world. 
you are loving and living in a way that just sets you free, sets others free. You find joy in every circumstance, even the bad times. You're like, well, I'm, I'm going to learn something from this, you know? But there's this level of peace that just floods your life. That's what the good life means to me. Mm, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, before you leave, if you love this episode, Safe Bet, you will also love the conversation we had with Chris Gillibo, who has spent over a decade traveling to every country in the world while building a global community fueled by impact and adventure. You'll find a link to Chris's episode in the show notes. And even if you don't listen now, be sure to click and download so it's ready to play when you are on the go. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to follow Good Life Project in your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode and then share the Good Life Project love with friends. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.